You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I've also, Bill, been talking to a number of the investment bankers recently in the run-up to Christmas uh, with Christmas parties here and there. And it's quite clear to me that there's additional deal flow to come through, probably in the gold space again, uh, but also going to uh, transpose itself into other parts of the sector. You are listening to Mining Stock Education. I am Bill Powers, your host. Well, as the host of this show, I like to bring you a variety of perspectives from uh, different people in the mining investment sector. And I reached out to Jamie Strauss. This is his second appearance on Mining Stock Education. He's based out of the UK, so he's on the other side of the pond from us North American listeners. And in my first interview with Jamie, we talked about Digby, which you can find more information at thedigby.com. Uh, Jamie will give us an update uh, regarding what's going on with Digby at the end of this interview, but he has just a plethora of experience in the mining sector, over 30 years experience within the financial industry. 20 years of that has been focused on the mining sector, and he's raised in his career in excess of $1 billion uh, from global institutional funds. He's also um, an active independent director of companies, one of which is Altius Minerals, which we'll uh, talk about over the course of this interview. With that being said, Jamie, welcome back to Mining Stock Education. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be back. As you survey the mining investment sector um, from your side of the pond, as I referenced in the introduction, what are some key trends that you see occurring? Well, it, it would be amiss of me not to highlight, obviously, the uh, the activity going on in the in the gold space, uh, and I think I think that's I think that's a welcome relief for a lot of people. But I think it also makes a lot of logical sense. Um, what is clear, this is being driven from Australia largely into Canada and other parts of the world. Uh, the way I look at this, which I think is interesting, is the Australians have got their minds, whether or not they're small life or not, into operation. They're creating a sustainable business, and they're now reinvesting that cash flow into uh, in, in, into other mines around the world, um, supported, obviously, by currency. Uh, so I see that continuing. Um, and ultimately, putting two operating mines together doesn't improve your mine life. So, um, so I think I think what is ultimately going to happen is you're going to see this driving towards the exploration world uh, in the desperate need to try and improve these asset bases of, of short mine lives. Um, I've also, Bill, been talking to a number of the investment bankers recently in the run up to Christmas uh, with Christmas parties here and there. And it's quite clear to me that there's additional deal flow to come through, um, probably in the gold space again, uh, but also going to uh, transpose itself into other parts of the sector. Um, that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Gold is often led. Um, so I think looking into 2020, I think we still see quite a lot of corporate activity uh, coming through. There have been some recent no premium takeovers uh, announced. Do you see over the next, let's say, three to six months when these takeovers occur that we'll begin to see greater and greater premiums? I think that's inevitable in any cycle, isn't it? So, uh, And I think it's also interesting alongside that. I think looking at that on its own uh, is probably you know, difficult to necessarily come together with any with any formal conclusion, but if you look also at the CapEx programs, and there was an article, I think, in one of the uh, European journals today, of 
you know, CapEx programs are beginning to go up. Well, if CapEx programs are going up, that tends to also mean people investing in new mines as well. So, uh, and let's be honest, there's not a huge number of ready-to-go mines out there. Um, there's been a lack of uh, investment over the last 10 years, uh, which has obviously led to a reasonably limited uh, suite of available stocks, which is not surprising why some of the Australians have been going with other with other producing companies. So I think there will be a move to pick up some of the better, shall we say, late stage exploration, early development plays, um, and that will ultimately lead to higher valuations and higher, um, higher premiums. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Trilogy Metals is a world-class developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District. The company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper, 3 billion pounds of zinc, over 1 million gold-equivalent ounces, and over 77 million pounds of cobalt. Trilogy's Arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of $1.4 billion, with a 33% internal rate of return. Trilogy is led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in Alaska. The company is well-capitalized has no debt, and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to TrilogyMetals.com. That's TrilogyMetals.com. When you look at trends regarding ESG, environmental, social, governance, these issues, uh, what are some of the key trends that investors should be aware of? I think that's a really fascinating question, and I think a lot of your listeners may or may not be fully up to speed with this, particularly with regards to the mining space. Uh, so this is coming at the mining space uh, at a steam train at full speed. And I think this sector is behind the curve by and large. Um, I think the G side of it is, is the governance side, and I think that's largely been around for some time, uh, although definitely with additional metrics being put on. Look, this is not this is not a whim. This is not suddenly just coming about. This is driven by uh, uh, global pressures from many different angles, uh, governments as well as non-governments. Uh, the Paris Accord, uh, which obviously affects uh, countries such as the UK, uh, all of Europe and uh, and Canada, less so the Ameri- uh, US. And uh, I think the focus on the environmental, on the sustainable, and the uh, sustainable side is, or the social side, uh, is. Is, is not only coming at speed, but it's going to have a fundamental change of culture. Uh, there is a cost element to this, um, but more to the point is, is a change of culture. Uh, and frankly, I think the mining industry can benefit out of this in many ways. Uh, the products coming out of the industry are critical. Uh, in the word of Robert Friedland, miners' revenge um, are critical to the uh, future sustainability of the planet. And therefore, I think the industry can actually benefit if we do change our culture and get on top of this. Um, But what I should say is that in two years' time, and this is really how drastic it is, if in two years' time a major mining company wanted to acquire a smaller company, and that smaller company is going to, uh, through its ratings, have a negative impact on the relative score of that larger company, then that takeover won't happen. It's as simple as that. Um, this is becoming a really serious issue, which is coming at speed. And do you think the influence for why the bigger dis- company would make that decision, is it coming from the grassroots or is it coming top down from governments? Both. Um, the investors as well as governments. So from a government's point of view, the key 
shall we say, the key um, point which governments have done since the Paris Accord um, has been that they're forcing these companies to report. Um, and obviously, if you're forcing to report, that effectively means it gets out into the open, which then means more criticism by shareholders who are getting pressure from them from their own uh, investors. Um, and if you if you talk to a lot of fund managers over here, the number one or the number two point in any of the uh, meetings that those fund managers have with their own investors is how do you address ESG and what what are your what are your parameters or your gates uh, to stop us investing money into companies that are not doing the right thing. So this is really, really critical um, and really should not be underlined uh, strong enough. You mentioned uh, copper. Uh, where are you focusing your investment dollars right now, if you'd be willing to share? Well, I think I think we've been through such a difficult period over the last 10 years, I think, but also with such a, I mean, all cycles repeat themselves. So I'm not going to pretend we're going into a new cycle, but I do think there have been so many fundamental changes in the industry, but also the globe. Um that we're not going to go back to where we were in 2003 to 2010. So therefore, uh, I think having a spread of your uh, um, a spread of investments is obviously important. I would certainly look at uh, some of the non-precious um, uh, non-precious royalty companies as a low-risk way of playing this. I'm on the board of Altius Minerals, as you mentioned, and not only do we have copper and zinc and iron ore. Uh, as uh, producers, but uh, producing royalties, uh, we we have now have over eighty million dollars worth of recurring royalty revenue. But also, as you probably saw last night, uh, news out a uh, news announcement, we got a second uh, energy royalty. Now that's a renewable energy royalty using solar and wind. So we're really getting on top of this from uh, diversifying our portfolio even further. Um, on the copper side, Bill, um, look, I think. Looking at a, uh, if you actually, if you use the Digby site, you can actually for free go onto the Digby site and search for copper assets anywhere in the world with a, shall we say, a pre-feasibility study or a full feasibility study. And you look at them and you look for the best ones and try and get the lowest risk. And obviously, bearing in mind jurisdiction, um, you know, there's some really exciting things. I mean, even Pumpkin Hollow um, uh, down in Nevada is something worth looking at. There are a couple of things down in the uh, uh, in the Andes, which is worth looking at. So, I mean, I, I, I just think a nice development asset with relatively low jurisdiction risk uh, and a good management, um, I think that's probably good timing at the moment. Uh, Jamie, for those of investors that are listening to us that don't follow the royalty space closely, can you talk about why uh, the non-precious metals royalties trade typically at a lower multiple than do the gold royalties? Sure. I was rather hoping you might answer that for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, gold royalties traded two times, and that's been the case for years. Um, and I, I'm going to answer it in a slightly different way. Uh, when when Altius really went about its royalty building process, uh, when we did our first deal with Sherritt about uh, five years ago, uh, it was quite clear to us that if you look at the uh, total market cap of the gold companies uh, and the total market cap of the gold company royalties, um, I think uh, we were dealing with exactly the same assets um, and uh, substantially lower risk with the royalties and because they're not operating or they're, they're operating, but you don't take any of the operating risk uh, because it's a pure revenue driven thing. Um, and the opportunity 
uh, which, which we saw from the, if you look at the total market cap of the diversified companies, to the size of the royalty company relating to those assets was just chalk and cheese between the royalties, between the two different sectors. So I can't answer that question with regards to, uh, or I'm not going to attempt to answer the question about why they trade at such a big discount. As far as I'm concerned, $1 is $1. Uh, or one dollar of revenue is one dollar of revenue. Is it going to be there tomorrow? Is it going to be there in a year's time? And and what is odd is that the royalty companies have a seven-year mine life, where the base metals and uh, non-precious metal royalties tend to have a much longer life with them. So you could argue that on a pure valuation metric, then you should be valuing the uh, non-precious metals at a higher basis on the basis of confidence of recurring revenues. Um, so I haven't answered your question, but I have given you the reasons why I think non-precious metal royalties are so exciting relative to those uh, precious metal ones, which I think are, um, are certainly fully priced, in my opinion, uh, notwithstanding uh, price increase from gold, uh, which would obviously give it further leverage. I had a conversation with a mining entrepreneur about 10 or 11 months ago and they were actually trying to launch or trying to put together the the beginnings of launching a base metal focused royalty company because they believed it was less competitive and there was actually greater upside with the energy revolution and everything that's coming over the next decades that there's going to be more upside in the the base metal royalties. And look, Robert Friedland's not in the royalty world. But just listen to him, what he has to say about all of the uh, uh, minerals that he's digging up out of Ivanhoe, whether it's some of the, or not just Ivanhoe, but some of his uh, uh, sister companies. And the reality is, it's not gold that is going to save this world, uh, notwithstanding its monetary issue, which obviously is a different argument. Um, but it is copper, it is uh, lithium, it is uh, all of the rare earths. Um, it's it's these metals that are ultimately going to be going into the windmills, the solar, the uh, big batteries um, to effectively drive the world's electricity, whether it's uh, vehicular or, or, or baseload. So uh, to me, I think your points are well made there. And I think, you know, from a common sense point of view, I think the non-precious metal royalties trading at less than one times NAV with still the same amount of you know, potential upside with blue sky exploration and everything that gold companies still find, but with much longer proven mine life uh, within that uh, portfolio is hugely exciting. Or you look at the royalties on the wind farms and the uh, uh, solar, uh, potentially those, the, 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 the lives of those is indefinite. When we spoke seven months ago, you introduced my audience to Digby, and the website again is the Digby. Dot com, and uh, you've been working diligently on that for the last seven months. Can you give us an update? And for those investors that aren't familiar, also give us an overview of what Digby offers. Sure, thanks. So uh, Digby is a new research platform, and we're using all the new technologies of the world, like expert networks and uh, uh, online platforms. And what it effectively does is it takes your analysis of geology, metallurgy, mine engineering, and project infrastructure. Uh, which is not available to the average person typically at the moment, uh, and is basically allowing that to happen uh, effectively from a uh, takes weeks, is brought it back down to now minutes, and from tens of thousands of dollars to just thousands. 
So the way we do that is by having a very large expert network of mining professionals, accredited experts within their own industry. They write these reports. They're incentivized by getting 50% of the sales. The average one of these reports uh, is around about $3,000. Um, and it's immediately available. Um, and they are completely objective and completely independent. Uh, Bill, when I came onto your show uh, a few months ago, uh, we just launched a kind of free database, which I told everyone about, and hopefully a lot of your users have had the opportunity to use it. It remains there and it's open. It's freely available for them. Uh, what we've now done in the last two weeks is we've gone live with some of our new research. Uh, we've included projects uh, or will be including projects such as uh, Pumpkin Hollow, which is Nevada Copper's asset, Alpala, which is Soul Gold's interesting asset, which BHP are just investing in, um, Bombore, which is Allzone's thing in, uh, in a project out in Africa, uh, Kakula, which is the exciting Ivanhoe copper asset, um, and Cherokasali down in, uh, sorry, Cherry Blanco down in uh, Guatemala, Bluestone Resources. So there's some really topical uh, projects here. Uh, where there's some really good due diligence, whether it's for private equity, fund managers, private individuals, or whatever. So I don't know if that gives you a, a, a good enough summary in a short period of time, but uh, really exciting. We're just, we're just launching, and certainly what I should add is this was never available before, and the impact it's getting from fund managers, private equity, and, and most of the industry, contractors, mining companies themselves, really is quite electric. And what is the cost for one of these reports? The average cost is about $3,000. It works on a matrix of the experience level of the individual and the complexity of the report. So between $1,700 and $4,500. So this is the platform to go to for independent research on late stage developmental projects. Correct. Looking at, instead of investment research with valuations, looking at the geology, the metallurgy, and the mine engineering, to making sure that we can mitigate risks much earlier in the, uh, in the process, increasing our confidence, both at the company level as well as the investor level, so that we don't have these overruns and these cost delays that we have been uh, consistently uh, um, achieving in this industry, which has put such a bad reputation behind this industry. We really want to change that and, and, and make this industry exciting and uh, increasing confident uh, industry for a wider uh, group of people to invest in. As Digby moves forward, it would be an interesting metric to track just as you do these reports over the decades, how many of these projects, when they do come into production, if they do come into production, actually fulfill what the feasibility study lays out. Yeah, I think I can answer that in a slightly different way. I totally agree with you. But I think two things. I think, first of all, you're definitely seeing better execution now by a, a smaller group because there's just a lack of funds in the industry, smaller group coming through. And I think that's directly uh, um, as a result of the private equity world getting involved and doing their due diligence over the last five, six years. So I think there already is evidence in that. Uh, I think um, I think peer reviews are now required. And uh, Paul Brink of Franco Nevada highlighted we need peer reviews like yesterday because uh, we need to make sure that um, not so much that we put people down, but we just try and identify risk earlier in the game. And if we can identify it earlier, that means we can reduce the cost and the over, over, overtime um, delays that we've been so accustomed to. And the other thing I would say just with regards to your comment, Bill, is, you know, Digby, once it uh, goes forward, uh, will have a huge amount of data uh, uh, available to it. 
And clearly we will then be able to benefit having taken a project from PA all the way through to production and how we can uh, track and improve some of the solutions we got for this industry. Um, Digby alone isn't the only technology company in the mining industry, but certainly from the from 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 from, from the research and the analysis point of view, it's a it's a leader in that front. If you're on social media, you can follow Digby on Twitter at the Digby, and the website again is thedigby.com. Jamie, I really appreciate you coming on Mining Stock Education to give us an update and share your insights. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.